Voices of Hope is a podcast of New Hope Presbyterian Church of Castle Rock, Colorado. New Hope is a church that puts people first. You can listen to our sermons and podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and any other popular podcast platforms. This week, Pastor Russ brings us his sermon called Learning from Hope. It explores the unprecedented changes all around us and encourages us to keep up because God is doing unprecedented things too. It comes from Acts chapter 17, verses 10 and 11. Every year, every year at the end of the year, there's a group of people who gets together to, to decide what should be the word of the year. What would be the word that either was new or created, or what is a word that has been before, but now it, it, it somehow encapsulates the conversation? Most famous is the group from Oxford that does it with the Oxford English Dictionary. Every year they have a word, except this last year. Because when it came to 2020, they decided there were too many words. They decided and printed 47 words. Everything from words like doom scrolling, pandemic, COVID. Zooming. Words that were words put together that were said as one Black Lives Matter, Me Too. All of these were words and more, and it was a backwards way of saying what they really wanted to say because they said all of this was because this was such an unprecedented year. I want to do a litany with you. You know what a litany is, as I say some things, and then I will say, and the people said, and, and the people, us together, we're going to say, it's unprecedented. <laughs> Shall we try that? When we look at all the different things that are going in our economy, and the way that things aren't working, and the things that, that are working, and all the things that we're having to do to help people who aren't working, and all the things we're having to do to support, all the people said, it's unprecedented. Likewise, when we look at education and all the things we've had to do around schools, how we help people learn online and then in the room, and how we put masks, and then how we spray the air, and then we don't spray the air. Now we're taking care of the surfaces, and then that's not it. And then we're staggering kids as they come in, and sometimes they can come and sometimes they can't. It's not only dizzying, but the people said it's unprecedented. Or in communication, all the different ways we've learned to communicate and all the ways we had to communicate. All the different ways that people found out that they can communicate with things like Zoom, even though they said, I'm not a computer person. And they had to become a computer person. And so as a society and as individuals, all the people said, it's unprecedented. Now let's talk about politics, or let's not talk about politics. Because whether it's from Congress to school boards, whether it's in neighborhoods, whether it's in the stores, and this is the vision and the polarization that, that is there, it is not only discouraging, but all the people said, it's unprecedented. And finally, when you think of all the times in this last 20 months that you have used the word unprecedented, all the people said, it's unprecedented. So how are we supposed to live in unprecedented times? Is it just something we ride out? Or is there something else that we can learn? Because even though the details are different in this time and place, unprecedented is not 
that unique of an experience. Throughout history, there have been times where the things have changed, and they've changed so quickly, and it's been beyond our capacity to keep up that people have said it's unprecedented, including in our passage. Our passage takes place in the book of Acts. It is an unprecedented time in the early church. And it is a wonderful example in this simple little story, and it's easy to miss a couple verses in there that determine whether people thrive or whether they flounder. It's Acts chapter 17. I've got some phrases that will be up there. But it talks about Paul and Silas, and now they're out journeying, journeying around the Mediterranean. And then they came to a town called Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue, and as was Paul's custom, he entered the synagogue, and for three Sabbaths, three weeks, he interacts with them on the basis of the scriptures. And through his interpretation of the scriptures, he demonstrated that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead, and he declared, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. I don't know if you caught what all was in, in, in that statement for three weeks. And he walks them through the scriptures. He walks them through all the things that he has learned. Because what he is talking about is completely unprecedented. It is an unprecedented, completely new way of thinking about who God is and how God works in this world. And even though in our Bibles, and they're gilded with gold and they're all nicely bound and the letters are all there and it's traditional, it's predictable, we forget how new that was. We catch it if we allow ourselves to when it talks about, oh, this is the new commandment and this is the new covenant. And when Jesus comes and he talks about, listen, what I'm telling you is like new wine. And by the way, to understand it, you need new wineskins. You need a whole new frame of reference in order to contain it all. There is new life and there's a new creation that is coming on. And Jesus says, behold, I am making all things new. This is anything but predictable. This is anything but what people were expecting. And as Paul was sharing, this is what we have learned because we've gone to the scriptures and we've learned to see what God is doing in a new way. Not everyone was pleased. Now it says some were convinced and they joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of the Greek God worshipers and quite a few prominent women. But the Jews became jealous and brought along some thugs who were hanging out in the marketplace. And they formed a mob and started a riot in the city. And they attacked Jason's house, intending to bring Paul and Silas before the people. And when they didn't find them, they, they dragged Jason and some believers before the city officials. And they were shouting, these people have been disturbing the peace throughout the empire and have also come here and they they came and they consoled Paul and Silas escorting them out of prison begging them to leave the city and this provoked the crowd and the city officials even more after Jason and others posted bail they released them there is something new going on and there is something new to learn and it is easy to think that what is the biggest obstacle to learning is what we don't know Ignorance, but I have come to believe that the, that the big one of the big obstacles to learning is not ignorance, 
It's certainty. It's when I already believe I know what's right. And as long as I know what's right, I cannot hear anything new. And I will not hear anything new because I am already convinced. And when I hear something, I'm going to be threatened by it. These people are disturbing the peace. These people are, are crazy. They're just bringing chaos wherever they go. They need to be stopped. And while some people can hear it and others can't, it's not a matter of do you have enough facts. It has to do with how do you approach learning. Everything we have learned in history, we know this. We, we know this, whether it's cosmology and Copernicus talking about the, it's not the earth at the center of the solar system, it's the sun, and people just couldn't hear it. Don't confuse me with the facts. Whether it is, whether it has to do with anthropology and evolution and who we are as humans and how we came into being, that can't be, I can't hear that, that's, that's dangerous, don't talk to me about that. We think this is the first time we've ever argued about vaccines, but we've been arguing about vaccines from the very beginning. Some people saying this can't be it. People, God has always used plagues to, to judge people, so who are we to play God? And others are saying, no, this is exactly what God did. We're playing human. We, we are coming up with medicines and vaccines. We have always argued, and it's not just about the facts. We can look exactly the same facts. And it's going to have to do with whether we think we are already right. Because as long as we think we are right, there is no room for anything new. Our passage that we heard in Job was because something new was being introduced. Everybody knew. Everybody knew how the world worked. If you were bad... God punished you. If you were good, God blessed you. Were you being blessed? You must have done something good. Did something bad happen to you like Job? Then Job must have done something wrong. And the entire book of Job is people arguing back and forth about how this is working. And Job must be wrong because he's been punished. So obviously he had done something wrong. And Job saying, no, God got something wrong because he's got the wrong person because I've been good. And it goes back and forth until God finally breaks in. You're so convinced you're right. You can't hear something new. That maybe this isn't the way the world works. The people of hope, Paul and Silas and Peter and the apostles, spent a good portion of their life exploring and learning, trying to keep up with the idea that God was maybe doing something new. Here's the turning point. It says, as soon as it was dark, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue, and the Berean Jews were, among, were more honorable were more honorable than those in Thessalonica. This was evident in their great eagerness with which they accepted the word and examined the scriptures each day to see whether Paul and Silas's teaching was true. Many came to believe, including the number of reputable Greek women and many Greek men. They were more honorable because rather than having already decided what was acceptable and what wasn't, what was right and what was wrong, they opened themselves and said, well, let's check for ourselves. Let's study. We have been talking about, as people of hope, there are four key questions. And so far this, this series, I've raised three of them. 
With whom do you gather? What's your practice of prayer? What is the place of service for you? And today, I want to open up and ask this question. What's the next thing you need to learn? Let me just put a caveat here. This is not saying you should read a new book. This is not saying you should take a new class. Uh, this is not jumping into a study. All of those things may be appropriate, but that's not what this is about. What this is about is a new way to approach learning and learning from hope that maybe, maybe God is still up to new things and doing new things. And so if that's the case, what do we need to learn in order to catch up, in order to keep up? Paul and the apostles were working really hard to keep up. The first thing the apostles do is they hand off everything else because they tell the people in the book of Acts, listen, we got to devote ourselves to the scriptures. We, we got to go back in here and find out what's going on and understand this in the light of everything because how we have read this so far, this doesn't make sense. This life, this death, this resurrection thing, this doesn't make sense. It's not mentioned except briefly in the book of Galatians when Paul has his conversion experience. If all you do is read the book of Acts, it just sounds like, oh, he took a little break. There were years that went on that Paul says that he went and studied and read and had to be convinced that there was something new going on. It had to do with not just what to learn, but how, how, how am I to understand what God is up to in these unprecedented times? And what does it mean to me and so they bring this and some people can hear it and some people go and, and they study it for themselves what is this and they ask with real curiosity but not everybody it finishes with this part it says the Jews from Thessalonica learned that Paul also proclaimed God's word in Berea and so they went there too and were upsetting and disturbing the crowds and the brothers and sisters sent Paul away to the seacoast at once but Silas and Timothy remained Berea. So it wasn't just enough that I'm saying, no, that's wrong. <laughs> no, I know what's right. It's now I'm going after you because you are dangerous. It's not I just don't agree with you. Now you must be stopped. So I used to think that the biggest obstacle to learning was because I'm already right. I have since learned that I think there's an even darker side to that. And it's that I can't be wrong. I can't be wrong. If I learn that, if I even entertain that, that might mean that I might be wrong. And so whether it is out of a sense of certainty or out of a sense of pride, the doors are closed. Nothing new is going to be learned. The people of hope. The people of hope had a different way of approaching in these unprecedented times. They, they gave themselves to the practice. They didn't have all the answers, but they gave themselves to the practices of gathering with one another to nurture their souls, to support and encourage. They found ways to pray and built that into their life together. It, they served one another in the midst of all that was going on, and, and then they dedicated themselves to an attitude of learning and openness. Not unlike what the book of Job does, they began to be open to this sense of wonder, of curiosity. And they let their world expand as they let their mind expand about the possibilities 
Joy is a part of our everyday spirituality team and has put together a meditation on this very aspect of wonder. And as you are wondering yourself about the unprecedented times, as you are wondering whether, what are the obstacles right now that get in the way of you entertaining or learning, or what are you open to, let this be a, a, a pause to entertain the idea of wonder. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my plans than your plans. For as the sky soars high above the earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work, and the way I think is beyond the way you think. Ancient wisdom tells us not to be wise in our own eyes, for we see as through a glass darkly. God's deep invitation is to be as a child, always the beginner, always the learner. To be as a child, completely open and nakedly hopeful, a readiness for wonder, seeing with fresh eyes, curious about possibilities, wholeheartedly trusting the beloved to wholeheartedly beloved them and everyone else. May we remember, no matter our age, we are the beginners in the story of this eternal universe. May we be open and ready to loosen and release our opinions. Make room to welcome endless, higher and new thoughts, ways of being and possibilities. May we listen for a deeper voice than our own, which we will recognize because it always speaks a message of love. From what point will we view our world 
and everyone in it. Where were you, Job, when the heavens were created? You who seem to know everything and are so sure. Were you there when all this started? Tell me if you have knowledge of this stuff. If we want to entertain what God might be trying to do in our midst, one of the best ways to start is with wonder. And open ourselves. Because there's two questions here. There's two questions. Is God up to something new? As we're facing any, any circumstance in our life, now, whether it's now or back in the book of Acts, is God up to something new? Isn't that the key question? And the other question was, well, but how would we know? Now, I believe there's another question that fits in between those two that we would do well to ask and be sure that we understand, and it's, are you sure you want to know? Is God up to something new? Are you sure you want to know? Because for a lot of people, a lot of, all of us at some time, some of us most of the time, the answer is no. I really don't. Because the cost is too high. It means I'm going to have to change. Isn't that kind of come with it? Any real significant new thing I'm going to have to change? And so when President Garfield long ago says, the truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable, he kind of knows what he's talking about there. I'm guessing this is a person who's had to learn some new things and it made him miserable and because he had to change. And then he discovered, ah, but it does eventually set us free because it's true. Maybe the biggest obstacle and the underlying obstacle to learning something new isn't just certainty, I'm right, and it isn't just pride, I can't be wrong, it's fear. I don't want to change. And I don't like what it means to have to change. Now, before we go any further about the rest of that, it does need to be said, not every change is a good one, right? Not everything that's new is something that we should keep. Whether it's Edsel, whether it's bell bottoms for men, whether it's pork chop sideburns, not every new idea is one we should keep. And not everyone is a good one. So I want to introduce a phrase that I have found to be helpful when I am brave enough to say it. And I want to commend it to you. This has helped me, and it's just five words. And you don't have to say it out loud because you can whisper it and you don't have to give it a whole lot of room in your brain, maybe just a little bit. But I could be wrong. I could be wrong. It's amazing how many times that has allowed me to explore things that I didn't really want to have to explore and learn things I didn't want to have to learn make changes that I didn't want to have to change because I could be wrong. I could be wrong with the way I see God. I could be wrong with the way I see human beings. I could be wrong with the way I see myself and how I see myself. 
And the biggest problem with being wrong had to do with point of reference. My own mind and my own experience. It's when I was trying to decide something. Whether is this right? Does this require a change in me? And my point of reference was always what has been done so far. That's not a bad point of reference, but it's not the ultimate one. It's the problem that the churches in Thessalonica and all those who were going after Paul and Silas were doing. They're going, this has not been done before. This hasn't been the understanding before. So therefore, it can't be different because this is what has been. That's a point of reference solely on what has been. And what Paul and Silas and Peter and the apostles and the people of hope did was they were pivoting going, that has what has been, but we are more aiming at what is yet to be because our new point of reference is not just what has been, not just our tradition, not just what has been orthodox. It is the life, it is the death, it is the resurrection, the new life of Christ. That is our true north from now on. And so when a new change comes, a new idea comes, it's not enough to just say, well, that has never been the understanding before, so it can't be right. It has to do more with what do we now know about what God is yet to do. There was a time in college when I didn't think women should be ordained. Because it had never been done before. At least I couldn't see the example in the tradition. But I can stand here and tell you I was wrong about that. Unfortunately, I had some patient people who just kind of brought me along. So with, it's like, you probably need to catch up because you're living in a different time and space. And we know too much to do that. There was a time where I believed about gender and sex and sexuality. I no longer believe anymore. I honestly believe I was wrong, and I wished I had soon seen it sooner. And the reason I didn't see, even though I could see what I, it didn't match up when we talked about homosexuality and all, all and, and marriage and relationships, was because all I had was a point of reference of this is the way it's always been done. This is how we've always understood it. These are the truths we have always held, rather than here's some new things we are learning, and how does this match up with what God is doing? We've done that in every area, though, haven't we? We've done that with human rights. We did that with slavery. The church always does it with orthodoxy. What's the right thing to do? What do we believe? Here's what it has always been, and therefore nothing new can come. How is it the church that keeps talking about the God who's making all things new, keeps hearkening back at its worst time to saying that can't happen because this is what we believe because this is what has happened before? How can it be that the church too many times in history has been the anchor and dragging and resisting what the spirit is trying to do? And whether it is indeed medicine and whether it is indeed the, the role of children or spirituality, There was a time that I thought I knew race and racism. I grew up in Southern California, and you've sometimes you've heard my story about that. And so in this last year when the, the, the Black Lives Matter movement came, I thought, I know that stuff. And then new things came, and I go, yeah, but I know that stuff. And little by little, it occurred to me, I don't know this stuff. I don't know the stuff the way I think I know this stuff. And it goes deeper. 
And so I have become a very appreciative of our race and racism class, which keeps pushing and saying, here's something new to think about. And there's a part of me go, but I already know this stuff. But I could be wrong. This is not, by the way, as I'm talking about these things, I am not advocating for indoctrinating people, but I am advocating for inquiry. That like the people of Berea, if you feel something nudging, if, you, if something's bothering, go check it out. Open yourself up. Because it's not just what we have learned. It's not even just the words of Scripture. C.S. Lewis himself has famously said, you know, it's, it's Christ himself, not the Bible. That's the true word of God, the true revelation of God. The clearest representation of who God is and what God is doing isn't just the words of Scripture. It is Christ. And because of the life, the death, death, and the resurrection of Christ, it's Paul, it's Peter, it's the apostles, it's Silas, it's the people of hope are going, how do we now read this in light of this? And is there something that we should be looking at? Because that is the, the true north of who we are. That is what it means to learn from hope. Here's the hope of what God is yet to do now. What, can we, what do we need to learn in order to live now? Because here's the proclamation of hope, is that the best stuff has yet to happen. The good stuff of what God is yet to do is yet to happen. Now, what do we need to learn in order to be a part of that? When we pray every Sunday, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, even as in heaven, what do we need to learn now in order to participate in that today? These are unprecedented times. But who among us thinks that if we can just get this virus thing behind us, that everything will go back to normal and work? Because what this has done is it has revealed what isn't working. It has revealed what doesn't work and maybe hasn't worked and we've been able to delude and distract ourselves from taking a good hard look at. Is it possible that this is a way of saying this isn't working and at the same time then raising the possibility? So what does the unprecedented work of God have to say with this? And maybe is there something there that can match the needs of the day? Because the future belongs to God and hope is an invitation from the future, to learn, to align, to unlearn the things that we already have learned, maybe even to change. I mean, isn't that what it means to be the people of hope? When we ask, what will we need to learn in order to keep up with the God of hope? What are we going to need to learn about peace in our world or living on this planet? What are we going to have to learn about how do we forgive one another or how do we disagree with one another? What does it mean and what do we have to learn about how do we care for our neighbor or who even is our neighbor in this interconnected world? What are we going to have to learn about this God who's doing unprecedented things? The God who's saying, I am making all things new. And that's not bad news, that's good news. What are we going to have to learn because there are unprecedented things that are going on in this world as there always have been and God is doing unprecedented things too. How do we catch up? How do we keep up? And we can spend our time rejecting new ideas, new insights. We can spend all our energy trying to obstruct or block. Or we can ask this question, what do I need to learn 
in order for the will of God to be done on earth in my life? How am I going to keep up with the God who makes all things new? How will we become people of hope? I learned something today. I learned that that when Allie asked how many people are kinesthetic, most of us raised our hands. So I'm going to invite you to join me in prayer in a way of praying that involves our body a little bit if it seems not too crazy to you, to just open your hands. Close your eyes, just open your hands. And in a way that opens the possibility of something new coming to us. Because that's our prayer, oh God. What is it you want us to know today? What needs to be learned? What needs to be unlearned in each one of us as we go out this week? Help us to see again and, and catch afresh what it is that your spirit is still doing, still nudging, still <laughs> causing discontent and agitation because the world as it is isn't yet ready and able to contain what you are wanting to do. Open us, oh God, this day, and by your grace, help us receive through Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Voices of Hope. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. Go in peace and have a wonderful week.